Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hi guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Friday as we end yet another week in Biden's America. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley, and by email, that's Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, today I want to do a very special show. You know, we often talk about the culture, and I quote Andrew Breitbart all the time on this, that politics is downstream from culture. Meaning we're all focused on politics, but politics is a direct result of our culture. And our culture right now is really sick. It's really sick. You just look in any direction and it's really sick. But we're going to talk to someone today who has long had a very positive influence on our culture and continues to do so. It's my great honor and pleasure to have with us today a true American icon and quite possibly the most humble American icon ever. Kelsey Grammer trained as an actor at Juilliard and made his professional acting debut on Broadway in Macbeth, no less. He's been in so many successful TV shows and films, but he's perhaps best known as Dr. Fraser Crane, the iconic character in two iconic series, Cheers, and Fraser. I have told Kelsey this uh, off the air many times, actually, that in this girl's opinion, Fraser is the smartest written and most brilliantly acted television comedy 
of all time. It's such a brilliant ensemble cast with Kelsey at the center of it all. And rumor has it that perhaps a Frasier reboot could be in the works. He has had uh, more than his share of tragedy in his life and difficulties related to substance abuse, but he has overcome it all and found God and Jesus and great success along the way. In fact, his brand new film is magnificent. It's called Jesus Revolution, and it's out right now. I saw it and absolutely loved it. You will too, so you have to go see this movie and support it. The legendary Kelsey Grammer joins us now. Hi, my dear friend. Hello, Monica. How are you? Well, I am even better now that I'm talking to you, and you and I have been... very kind. (laughs) Well, it's true. A lovely introduction, by the way. I was very impressed. Even even I'd be impressed with that introduction. (laughs) Well, to paraphrase Henry Kissinger in a different context, it has the added (laughs) virtue of being true, Kels. Uh, Uh, Well, you know, that does make... (laughs) That has a lot of value. (laughs) Well, it is all true, and you've just had such a stellar career and an extraordinary life. And you and I have been talking about doing this uh, together on this show for quite a while, and I'm just so glad that we could make it happen today. Um, You know, as I mentioned, you have had this extraordinary life journey, and when I was writing up this introduction for you, I was going through all of it and checking sources and so on, and it is It's just been an extraordinary path with, of course, so much more to come, but you've definitely taken the scenic route in your life, and I do want to get into it with you and maybe talk some politics with you as well. So let's start with where you've been, because I I don't think a lot of people know your life story before you became such a superstar. You were born, I was really surprised to see you were born in one of my favorite places, St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and your dad, yes, USVI, which I, again, I love. Your dad was a musician, and your mom was Mm -hmm. a singer and an actress. So I guess that's where the acting bug came to you? I I suppose, you know, I never really had uh, aspirations to be an actor until I met uh, an English teacher in my junior year who said, I want you to do a play. I did the play. It was called Little Foxes. I played Ben Hubbard in it. It was a 50-year-old man. And um, it was great. So I just decided, you know, this this feels kind of good. I could maybe do this for a, the rest of my life. <laughs> it was a fortunate guess. <laughs> uh, you know, a year and a half later, I found myself in New York City and going to school and trying to, you know, get down some sort of sense that I, I could be a, a technician and an artist all at the same time and have a develop a craft and things I'd never really thought I'd be capable of doing. And, and then it just sort of all came to me in that rush of recognition that that silly first show I did. And I thought, wow, I, I, I want to make my life doing this. And, you know, it was a, it was a wonderful thing, wonderful thing. And I had no idea whether or not I'd, I'd land on my feet or have success. I was just willing to do what I had to do to make my way. You know, that's, that's one of the great gifts of youth too, right? Is that you just keep Uh barreling forward and you don't overthink, Hey, this might not work out or the odds are really against me to, to not just have success in the acting field, but become a superstar, right? You just keep plowing through when you're young and doing what you're good at. Exactly. There were several people in my life, not contemporaries, but contemporaneous adults who looked at me and said, you know, you're really taking a very, very difficult 
um, course here. Uh, why don't you consider it something to fall back on? And I've written this previously, but I've always said, if I had something to fall back on, I probably would. Yeah. So that's it, just, you know, it, it didn't make any sense to go ahead and prepare for failure. I was going to prepare for success. And that's, that's, that was my directional focus. We are going to talk about your journey to, to faith in God, which I find fascinating. And you and I have talked about this off the air as well. But I do believe that God puts you exactly where you need to be at exactly the right time. So you were in that class, that drama class, and you did that show. And God yeah. puts you there for a reason. Do you recognize yeah. that now? And did you see it then or not? I believe so. It's just, you know, this, this, this idea that I, I love the idea that, you know, um, it, I'm quoting this as well. That coincidence is just God covering up his footsteps. Um, <laughs> That's good. I I love that idea. And and you know, suddenly there were this there was this sort of synchronicity around me, this this uh confluence of influences that came together and said, Yeah, you should go be an actor. And uh, I remember talking to my um what it was, it was advisor, you know, your high school advisor or whatever that would council or whatever. And um his name was Spencer Lane, and, and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I think I want to go be an actor. And he said, well, what do you want to do about it? I said, well, I've heard there's a couple of really great schools. I thought I'd apply to those and, and try to get in. He said, then go do that and go get in. And mm. I got in. I think he was completely shocked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so, Kels. But you did You did win a scholarship. See, I did my homework about you. Um, you oh, did yeah. win a scholarship to study drama at Juilliard. That's incredible. It was It was pretty incredible. I had no idea. That, that, was, that was a fun, fun day. I, I went into uh, – I flew up from Fort Lauderdale where I was living. And uh, it was my – Junior year, or senior, maybe senior year. I'm 17. I remember being 17, but they they scheduled auditions, and I I walked in to the theater there at Juilliard, which is it's magnificent actually. And and uh, they said, uh, well, why don't you just relax, and then you can come in and do your pieces. And I prepared a couple of pieces. I prepared uh, Nick Bottom from Midsummer Night's Dream, and I did Willie Loman from Death of a Salesman. Once again, you know, a, a retiree, you know, being played by a 17 year old, but. Um, there were these dark little figures in the audience as I went down and introduced myself and did my pieces. And at the end, a voice came out of the darkness, and it was John Houseman, I know now, but, you know, they said, oh, Mr. Grandma, one question. And they said, uh, do you intend to make acting your career? And I looked up at him, and I was like, well, that's the oddest question. But I, I, I looked at him, and I said, well, I flew up here from Fort Lauderdale, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I assumed that would be enough for him. And then I uh, I excused myself and uh, went into the locker room and put my shoes back on and stuff. And uh, a woman named Margot Harley, who was running the acting company at the time and, and was one of the administrators for the college, uh, said, we just had a question about your uh, application. And I, I said, uh, oh, well, how can I help you? And she said, uh, it says here that you you have written a sentence that is, is a little obscure. Uh, does this mean that you need money, financial assistance? And I said, well, honestly, yes, that is what it means. And um, she said, uh, all right, good. That's good to know. And then she said, do you have any questions? And I said, yes. How did I do? Mm. <laughs> she looked at me and sort of smiled a bit. She said, it was a good audition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. That must have yeah. blown you away. Uh, yeah, well, I actually just thought, oh, it's just a nice way of saying you're not in. But you know, 
I found out a couple weeks later than I was. So it was, it was pretty spectacular. <laughs> well, I would say so to win a scholarship to Juilliard to study acting is pretty extraordinary. I um, There was a brief moment of time, Kelsey, I don't think I've ever told you this, where I wanted to be an actress. And I was, uh, I took a couple of courses in high school and did some shows, whatever. And then when I got to college, the drama, the, the professor of drama at Colgate, and his name escapes me now, but he was old school uh-huh. actor studio and absolutely brutal, brutal yeah. to everybody, right? So, I, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not doing well in this class. I think I, I'm totally stressed out. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I, I want to impress this guy. And for our final exam, I had to, uh, we all had to perform a scene alone on stage. And I ended up doing a scene from an Arthur Miller play, um, After the Fall, which was based oh, on yeah. his marriage to Marilyn Monroe. And so right, I, so I'm standing on the stage, everything is dark. I can see his shock of white hair, you know, in the audience. And I do the scene, <laughs> I do the scene. And then at the end, I just sort of closed my eyes and said a little prayer, like, please, God, let him not be totally brutal to me and he actually wasn't and he looked at me when the lights came up and he said he gave me his notes and they were all constructive and fine and then he said uh miss crowley you can act and I, I i was completely blown away and of course my life took a different path than yours but i still remember that compliment and i'm i'm telling you that story now because when you said that she said to you your audition was good the, these drama people they don't bs they don't bs you they'll tell you right uh, yeah. no you stink right so he, they don't tend to they don't tend to heat praise upon us either that's the thing but exactly. you can act is a, a hell of a statement well, that, I, that that was it. <laughs> I was I, floating I told, on cloud I told nine. A about, told a story about Margot, the, the same woman. Years and years later, I was helping do a fundraiser for um, for the acting company, actually. I, I just, it had to be 30 years later. And Margot happened to come and see um, La Cage when I was doing it on Broadway. And she came backstage, and, and I said, oh, Margot, oh, my goodness, how are you? And then she said, uh, oh, I'm well, I'm well, I'm well. I said, you know you were a bit better than I thought you'd be. Mm. I thought, this woman does not keep praise on anyone. Yes, <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's just, it's just it's a, a, a tight-fisted, stingy, with a compliment kind of person. But I loved her for it. It just made me giggle. So, you know, it's like, so I got, it was a good audition and you were better than I thought you'd be. Well, that, and knowing how these drama folks are, Kelsey, that you take that compliment and amplify it a million fold, right? I mean, and and of course, she was (laughs) telling you the truth because you're absolutely brilliant. Kelsey, please hang tight a lot more straight ahead. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, Eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. 
Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. We're back with this fascinating conversation with the great Kelsey Grammer. I want to take a turn now into the scenic route that your life has taken. Sometimes right. the scenes have not been uh, wonderful or glistening and into every life, some rain must fall as the saying goes, but you've had more than your share of rain. So while you were at Juilliard, um, you lost your sister, Karen, whom you loved deeply right. and still love deeply. Yes. Um, but yes. you lost her at the hands of a murderer who had also kidnapped mm-hmm. and raped her. This is a completely unspeakable horror. And I am so sorry that you and your family went through such a horrific tragedy. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how old you were at the time that this happened? And how did you make it through that dark period? Well, I was 20 years old. Uh, Aaron was 18, about to turn 19. Um, Making it through, you know, honestly, it just, um, I I have been writing a book about it. And I've been working on it for about a year now. And uh, it's been kind of an extraordinary rediscovery of how I've actually did get through it, but also of how final that death was in my head, how it had actually obscured so much of the joy that we'd had together. And I think by writing, I've been able to reclaim a great deal of the joy and, and, and to see why I might have fallen into some of the traps I did because I was in pain. Um, I've, I've written a couple of lines, you know, like uh, there were people that came into my life at certain times who were aware that they were talking to a person who had lost everything. As, as far as I was concerned, everything in my life had been taken. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, my granddad had died at 12. My dad died at 14. My sister died, you know, six years later. Um, it was devastation. It gutted our family. And it, it, uh, it destroyed my grandmother, who was just the light of the world. She was hysterical. I mean, I think of her now, which has been great in, in writing the stories, uh, about Karen and about my mom and about my grandmother. My grandmother has sort of been reinvigorated by my imagination and the interest of my children. My son, Gabriel, always says, who is the toughest woman in your family? I say, it was Gam. And he says, was, was, would Gam go crazy if you did this right now? Or would Gam get mad at me if I did this? <laughs> I say, Gam would go crazy. She'd be over her, out of her mind. And she would say, I teach him things. Gam would say things like, um, I have seen me some big towns and I have heard me some big talk. And then she'd say, that boy could use a swift kick in the pants and I'm just a girl that can give it to him. (laughs) I love her and I've never met her. (laughs) She was just amazing. But but Karen's death just killed her and she basically basically just drank herself to death after that. About three years later, she was gone. But, um, But it was a wonderful family and it was decimated by these people. 
and by this event. And I have had the good fortune through a medium who said to me, oh, by the way, your sister wants you to write her story. And I thought, well, okay. <laughs> it was an extraordinary thing. And she said, oh, yeah, no, she's, she's here with me and wants you to write her story. She says, well, all right, I'll do that. And in that, I have been given this great, great gift of, of remembering her. Remember is my favorite word in the English language. It has always been that. And to remember one means to bring us back into the living, to bring us back into membership with those we love. And uh, this has been an extraordinary thing for me. And uh, Karen lives again in my heart and in my mind and in my soul, vivacious and lovely and beautiful and young, the child she was, the young woman she was. And uh, now when I think of her, I don't think of her, you know, her hollowed out husk lying on a, um, a gurney in Colorado. I just, I see her alive again. And that's been a really, really great experience for me. And I hope to share that with the folks. I hope they read this book when I get it published. And I think it's going to get published. And, and uh, there's another thing I want to promise. I mean, it's about the whole family and what we went through and stuff like that. But this Karen's story and my story, by virtue of the fact of all the things I've had the good fortune to know and the good, the good um, grace to survive. Some of them, you know, certainly, you know, it's, it's a highly publicized, you know, um, flirtation with cocaine that I had. And, uh, um, granted, it, it didn't kill me. It was funny as, you know, you were talking about faith and how that has influenced me as well. Uh, even in my highest moments, in my wildest moments, uh, in, the, in the midst of an addiction, uh, the, the one thing I called out to more than any was Jesus Christ or God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I guess I was where I was meant to be at the time because I had to figure out a way more in my sister and uh, I couldn't do it any other way but to destroy myself but I wasn't allowed to finish the job and that was a, a true blessing you know I get back to God puts you exactly where you need to be at exactly the right time and he has blessed you with these extraordinary gifts and an extraordinary platform everybody knows who you are you're a superstar. You're a household name. He gave you great success. And I I think, you know, it, he's having you write this book about your sister to help other people because obviously, and you and I, you, you first told me last year that you were working on this book. And I thought, mm -hmm. what a great gift he's going to give to the world because there are so many people who are suffering from loss. And, you know, whether it's the loss of a loved one to disease or to a violent act, as your family yeah. went through, loss comes in a lot of different ways. And you, you, by writing this book about your sister, you're giving yourself and your family a gift, of course. Um, and by the way, that you said something really beautiful, Kelsey. You said um, that instead of remembering the violent act that took her <laughs> life and the shell that was left in terms of her remains, that by writing this book, you have given yourself the gift of remembering her and her yeah. spirit when she was vibrant and healthy and alive. So that, 
I, I think that obviously that's a gift to you and your family, but writing this story, I think is going to help so many people because you do, you know, you're not some obscure writer, you're Kelsey Grammer and people are going to find this work and it's going to help them. I hope so. I mean, there are some, <laughs> there are some pretty fun stories in it. Some, it was a pretty crazy family. <laughs> but, I can't you know, wait to hear. Pretty wild. But, um, I, I'm, I'm, I've been so blessed to have this. I, I have a wonderful sense of recall. And, and as I've been going through this, <laughs> this mission, I've, I've discovered things I'd forgotten, of course. And they come looming into my, into my sort of my present life again. And they, and they, they go, Hey, remember this? And uh, I do remember. And I, I've had a hell of a giggle about a lot of it. And I hope people enjoy it as well, you know, for that, because I mean, I was a, a funny little guy. And, <laughs> We had a a great sort of oh what's the word I, I just almost unimaginable caricatures in in our lives. My grandmother was crazy. I mean, I I, I still say you know oh your grandmother would hit my grandmother would hit the roof if you know it's like she was going to hit the roof. She was extraordinary. <laughs> she really did. And uh, it's been so much fun to kind of just to remember it to to remember those days and and i think i think to invite people into them will be fun as well and then, you know then of course to share the loss of karen and share the the life that she wasn't allowed to live or given a chance to live and then to remember all the beauty that she had and all the beautiful love that she brought to us has been really something it's it's so beautiful this whole circle that you've that you've experienced with regard to Karen and then taking us through is this once this book is done hopefully soon of course you will come back and talk about it do you have a title oh, for yeah. it yet Karen Karen <laughs> beautiful yeah. simple and beautiful and right well, on point yeah. <laughs> would you would you consider Kelsey making a feature film out of this uh, or, or like a short series about it, your family's life and this event. Very and idea. I mean, it's uh, what's been really fascinating about it is, as I've discovered that uh, the power of thought. You know, there's nothing faster than thought. There's no, there's no speed that's quicker than thought. Uh, speed of light is like a turtle by comparison to the speed of thought. Places it can take you. It's a time machine. I have sat in the room with my sister at the age of five and then sat as a 60 year old right beside her as a child. And I've started to realize that this, this existence we have, there are several planes that we live on and several time frames that have no actual value in time, except by virtue of what we think. And that has been so wonderful to to see this overlapping kind of interconnected timeline and it's 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 it is spaced out into further i mean in the history of my family thomas cranmer was a uh, a member of our family my granddad's name was cranmer um he was burned at the stake in 16 something and i have i've actually seen him in this journey i've been taking and and the family crossed the United States on foot three generations ago. Mm. My great-grandfather rode a horse across the country ten times to bring wagon trains back and forth. 
I mean, these things are extraordinary. And there is no, there isn't a split second between then and now. It's incredible, isn't it? The the fabric yeah. of one's life and also the generational, the generational blessings and curses that come mm-hmm. into your life and then making making a real concerted effort to appreciate the generational blessings while breaking those generational curses. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and there was a, there was a drinking thing with my, my grandmother's mother, my great grandmother, uh, Genevieve and her husband, Ellis, they were just, they were the first of a generation of kids whose parents had walked across the country and wanted to give them a better life. And they did. And their kids were, kind of, you know, indolent and hanging out and drinking a lot. And they lost their lives, basically, because of it. And I mean, Genevieve died when she was 41, I think. And Ellis died probably into his 50s. But uh, I've, I've named my our last son, James. James, is, his phone name is Auden James Ellis Grammer. We just thought that the name Ellis deserved another run. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> another, you know, give him another shot because uh, he didn't mean to be so messed up. He'd lost his brother in a what was it basically a, a drug overdose? I mean, this, this, you know, they don't hear about these things. They're extraordinary. Um, and that would carry through into, into his life and into his, his, his wife's life. I mean, they were married for a very brief time and then they actually published, and this is wild, they published an announcement of his death in the Oakland newspaper, uh, the town where they were from at the time, uh, because it was the best way to explain why she wasn't with him. And they, you know, they they had fell into dissolution. Basically, Ellis was a hopeless drunk, and Genevieve ended up back with her sisters and stuff. And my grandmother was raised by her aunts, but um, they actually published that he had died. But he didn't die; he just joined the Marines when he was twenty-eight, which was a little old to join the Marines. But he had an uncle who was a drill sergeant, and then he was found on duty. He was supposed to be guarding, um, you know, the Embarcadero there in San Francisco. He was passed out and he was drunk. So he was, <laughs> he was discharged dishonorably. And at the bottom of his discharge, it's a little card, basically, like a note card almost, about, about 10 inches long and four inches wide. The captain saw fit to put in the very last line of that card, he said, character, bad. Alice's <laughs> final sort of character description. Bad. Thought, oh dear Lord! And uh, it's, I, I write about him in the book too. I, you know, I, I, it's been so funny to have them all kind of take a ride with me on this thing because I, I love them all. I cherish them all. And there was another young man, Thomas, who who died. I guess cholera. Cholera is the one when he drinks like tainted water, right? Uh, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, so he was he was going to be the, he was 21 years old. He was the buffalo hunter. He was going to hunt and get game and, you know, help them settle. And uh, at the age of 21, he went out one day, drank some water, and that night he was dead. Mm. And that changed the whole, the whole character of the, of the way the family was going to be able to move into the next phase of their lives in, in Oregon is where they ended up for a while. But, um, it's extraordinary. I do, and I do think genetically or, or whatever, spiritually, those all those stories are in us and part of us. And so we'll hopefully uh, share some of those in, in the book. But I've decided I'm going to put in a ton of pictures because I have a ton. 
and I, I hate, I, well, I don't hate, I, I, I don't tend to um, appreciate books that talk about people who lived and then not see pictures of them. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. I'm the I like same. I see a bunch of pictures. Yeah. I'm the I want to see a bunch. So it's going to be loaded with pictures and, and people will get, I hope, a, a sense of closeness to all the characters I, I talk about that were part of the family. Oh, it sounds so wonderful, Kelsey. And yes, you are a product of all of them. And to be able yeah. to trace generations back like that is it's so much fun and it's fascinating. So and they all sound like real characters, too. So that's why I asked you if you're going to turn it into a movie, uh, maybe at some point. Let me ask you about we are, and this is a big, a big uh, topic, but the idea of forgiveness you know, you, you talked about Karen um, and how she was murdered. Your father was killed as well. You lost two teenage half-brothers in a scuba diving accident. I mean, you've had a, a lot of tragedy in a relatively short amount of time. Have you come to a place emotionally, spiritually, any other way, where you can forgive the people that inflicted these tragedies on you and your family? On a soul level, yeah. On a, on a on a on a on a this plane level, though I can forgive the man that killed my sister, um, I will not um, advocate for his freedom. He's tried to get out of jail for a long time, several for the last decade at least, and uh, I just can't come bring myself to the idea that he. He and his actions should not be accountable. Um, and to go enter life as a normal, you know, to get into a new life out of prison. I mean, I'm sorry. One of the one of the parole hearings, I, I did say, you know, it's like, so when is my turn to get out of prison? Right. When do I get my shot? Because mine's forever. It's, you know, at least until as long as I live. And I, I just figure, you know, tit for tat on that one. I forgive you, but you go live the life you chose. You chose to kill that girl, that girl that was my sister, that person that he turned into a no one in his head before he killed her. And um, for that, he understood that there was an accountability probability about it, and he, he did it anyway. So there you go. You reap what you sell. Yes. Has he ever expressed any remorse? Well, he once said he was sorry, and then he said he didn't remember he did it. Uh, it's this is a this is a callous, somewhat deranged human being. I think I, I, I don't think he's insane, but I think he's talked himself into this idea that somehow he's the victim. And our society, you know, has embraced this idea that anybody who happens to be a convicted felon might actually be innocent of everything, and it's all our fault. You know, this this is stuff driving me crazy. Because yeah. this was a deliberate act, a deliberate act, a, pre, a premeditated act, an act that he threatened her with and then raped her and killed her. And uh, there's this is not this is not society's fault. This is not anyone's fault but his. And, um, you know, he gets to claim it. I'm going to let him wrestle with that for the rest of his life if he wants to. But I'll do everything I can to make sure he doesn't actually end up in society somewhere. Yes. Or could actually do harm again. Yes. 
or free to to live a life. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Forgiveness can be a very, very difficult thing. But as the saying always goes, you do it for yourself, not for the other person. This is not bestowing a gift on somebody else. This is to free yourself from the grip of what they have done to you so that now you can live your life. Yeah, I never, uh, I've never been able to forgive myself. That's part of this book. That's good. That's what's part of the journey of it. Uh, I've always held back just a dash of, oh, self-loathing, I guess, to, to, you know, just as the cherry on top of my life that always said, well, don't, don't enjoy this too much because, you know, you're responsible for this. And that's, of course, not true, but that's what we talk ourselves into. A big brother is supposed to protect his sister. That's all there is to it. A father is supposed to protect his children. You know, and and sometimes we can't. Uh, that's a nightmare, but one that we'll we'll wrestle with, and ho- hopefully lift ourselves up with forgiveness. And forgiveness does not mean you don't still have to pay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, I mean uh, right. I, I can forgive these people now, and uh, but I I don't see how that works into, oh, and by the way, oh, it never happened. Or, oh, oh well, yeah, okay, I forgive you, so off you go. Enjoy yourself. No, I don't think that's what happens. That's correct. And yeah. he's he has got to pay his debt to society, and he's got to explain himself to God someday if he hasn't already. So, you know, I, I'm completely with you on this. You know, you talk a lot about, and you've talked publicly about dealing with the pain from all of this, and that you did turn to alcohol and drugs to try to numb that pain. Did, was there ever a time, Kelsey, where you felt like you were losing control, or your ability to control the drinking or the cocaine use? Well, I think that's the beauty of it. Uh, it's That's where it takes you. <laughs> um when you get involved in a controlled substance to the point where you're doing it every day or something, it's, but the, 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 the argument about control is, uh, is pretty much over with. You, know? <laughs> you can pretend you can control it, but um, the, the greatest thing though, to bring it back on online basically is to say, well, how's your life? Are you in charge of your life? And you realize, well, probably not entirely. And when that's the answer, you start to think, so what do we do? And, you know, you cut it out. <laughs> but, um, I had a great, great pal. who was a, you know, a real professional drunk uh, who, who got, you know, got the disease, you know, he got the, got, got holy. He got, he got the, you know, he got the cure. And he said, uh, he said, um, addiction is just uh, unresolved grief. Mm. And I thought, Yeah. Yeah, that that really makes sense. If you want to resolve it, you know, you got to kind of let the addiction go and and dig into the the grief a bit. And uh, I had a good chance of doing that. I was capable of doing that, and uh, and I was guided toward it by some people. And also, um, I had a lot of love, a lot of a lot of God in there, a lot of Jesus in there, a lot of that. You know, I don't I don't go around talking about my faith that much, but I, I had a chance to do this faith movie, and that that really. You know, took the cuffs off a little bit. I just thought, yeah, well, yeah, okay, yeah, that's what I believe. That's who I am. I mean, I always read the Bible, even as a little boy. I went to Christian Science Sunday School every Sunday when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. Karen went too. 
And I believed. I reached, I, I called out the name of Jesus Christ several times in my lifetime. And I think I got an answer once in a while. I, I didn't know for sure. Like I said, you know, coincidence is God covers, covering up his footsteps. But then there'd be a way out. There'd be a ray of light. A, a door would open. And um, I felt pretty locked up for a while. But you know what? As, as it sits in the context of my life, not for that long. And uh, I have a very good life now. And I, I still have, I still enjoy a cocktail. That's, uh, but boy, that other stuff, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's all very dark. Um, and when you go yeah. down that road, you're in yeah, like a cul-de-sac of darkness and very difficult to, to get out of it. But it is spiritual. You know, it, yeah. it's a spiritual warfare for your soul, you know, and when Absolutely. you're in a dark place, the enemy comes right in targets your vulnerability yep. right yeah and uh and, but you know it's funny the fight is is worth it and the fight purges you you know it's 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 it, 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 um it's the foundry it's it, it makes you who you are you overcome you know and these things are thrown out to tear us down with those to which we will either surrender or you know conquer them and it's it's a it's a wonderful life, isn't it? I mean, it's, it doesn't feel wonderful sometimes, but boy, when you come out the other end, it's magnificent. Yes. And you know what's so beautiful, what you said is even even at the darkest points in your life, you always ha- knew God was there. You know, maybe you weren't worshiping him. Maybe you, you weren't, you know, paying close attention to the fact that Jesus was right by your side, but you had some sort of recognition that he was there yeah. and you were not truly alone. Well, in those in those of in those heightened times of despair, that's when he's closest. Right. You just don't know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And 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 he opens your eyes to see. <laughs> but your heart has to be yeah. open to it as well. When you're ready. When you, when you're when you're ready, he's always there. But he'll he'll super mm-hmm. be there when you're re- when you're ready. He will make himself oh, yeah. uh, known to you. Oh, yeah. Okay, please stand by. We've got much more with Kelsey Grammer straight ahead. But first, you guys know the Fed keeps raising rates because it's the only tool they have to keep inflation under control, and it's not working. You can't spend your way out of inflation. You've seen the impact on the stock market. You've seen the impact on your savings. Hedge inflation right now by owning gold, whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA in precious metals, where you can hold real gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Buy gold and get a free safe to store it in. That's right, on qualifying purchases from Birch Gold Group, now through March 31st, they'll ship a free safe directly to your door. Just text Monica to 989-898 to get your free info kit on gold and claim eligibility for your free safe. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on qualifying purchases. Again, text Monica to 989-898. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back with the great Kelsey Grammer. 
You know, I, I love talking to you about your walk with God because it, it's so, first of all, I love to hear anybody's walk with God because we're all different and we all learn to lean on God in different ways and coming out of different situations. I, I've noticed, Kelsey, that some really big stars like you and Mark Wahlberg and Chris Pratt, and there are some others speaking more openly about your faith and your voices are so important to young people, but people of all ages who pay attention to Hollywood and entertainment. Have you gotten any reaction from the Hollywood community, such as it is, about speaking about your faith in Jesus? Well, none that I know of, <laughs> but I don't pay a lot of attention. <laughs> so, because you don't care. You, you've got your faith, well, there, and that's it. You know, there may have been some hits, but I, I don't know. Um, we have a wonderful film out that I am extremely proud of that I want people to go and see for the next two months. I mean, go and see it. It's, it's magnificent. I want people to have seen it once to go see it two or three times because it's a once in one that, as you referred to Henry Kissinger, it's also true. It's a, it's the truth. It's a true story about the truth and um, the power of God. And uh, what a wonderful thing it can be. And, and, and it's infectious and beautiful and people love one another. And I mean, I, just today I had somebody at, one of the guards at Paramount, when I was driving in, said, I went and saw the movie Chuck, Chuck Smith, that's the guy I play. Chuck Smith prayed for me. Chuck Smith helped me through my life. And I thought, wow, it's amazing to, feel, to be able to meet him because I didn't know him. But to be able to meet him through the eyes of these people, that he was significant in their lives and that he had a healing presence in their lives, their memory of him is alive still. And so I've had a glimpse of him in their eyes. And uh, this was a powerful, powerful thing that happened. And I know he was a man at the end of his rope before this this thing happened for him. And, and Calvary Church ended up being, you know, there's thousands of them around the country. And, and uh, he helped start this harvest program with Greg Laurie. And what a magnificent op- opportunity for me to discover the power of healing like that uh, in a way that I was not familiar with. I had my own, you know, story, but not this one. Everybody's journey is different. I want to make mention, again, that the film is called Jesus Revolution. I went to go see it, and I I thought it was absolutely fantastic. You were just marvelous in it, playing this this sort of square pastor at the height Mm -hmm. of the countercultural revolution in this country, late 60s, early 70s. And, you know, some hippies uh, approach you, and they want to learn about Jesus. And, of course, that sort of kicks off the real world, and this actually happened, guys, if it's before your time, it, it, it actually sparked a Jesus revolution, which was on yeah, time, the cover of Time magazine, etc. with all of these young kids looking for more meaning in their life than what the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of the period could give them. And so they yeah. started pouring into ch- traditional churches, and there were a lot of you know older people who didn't get it, didn't want the hippies around, and the hippies come and basically squat in your character's church, and again, this is a true story, and you're character you play this pastor who really gets with the program and embraces these hippies and it 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 saves them through jesus but it also saves you and your character so it's like this beautiful package amazing extraordinary was it fun to work on 
Oh yeah, it was great, great fun. I mean, I mean it was fun too because I mean, honestly, it's a it's a page out of my own childhood. Uh, my my you know my teen teenage years at least. Um, I, I do remember sitting on the beach one night, and a couple of girls came up to me and said, "Have you been saved?" And I said, "Well, uh, if you have anything in mind, I might be willing to." <laughs> they were, you know, magnificent young women, and uh, they said, "Well, we're going to go do a, you know, a Jesus uh, meeting." And I said, "Well, you know," and they said, do you, "You know, do you know Christ?" And I said, "Well, actually, I think I do." Because I was still, like I said, I was still reading the Bible every day. I mean, it was just my own sort of devotional, I guess. It's, it's the way I dealt with life a lot of the time. And uh, so the idea of being involved in a relationship with Jesus wasn't that foreign to me. So I, I didn't feel like I needed to go to a meeting about Jesus. Uh, but I, I would have gladly sat and talked with them for hours and hours. <laughs> 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 uh, but I, I, that was the movement. That was it. And I, and I got to say that I loved the hippie thing. I loved the Summer of Love. I loved Jimi Hendrix. I loved all the stuff that we were all involved with. And I was, I mean, I was just a couple of years behind the curve, but uh, that to me was the best thing about us. That, that exuberance, that optimism, that love your brother thing that we were doing. And it was real. And then these are the people running the country now. I'm thinking, what happened to you guys? These, these are the same guys that actually would look at you like a year and a half ago and say, well, maybe we should just lock them up if they don't do what we tell them to. And that to me was... What happened? Mm. What happened? What happened to my generation? The love, the, the beauty, the optimism, the faith that they all had, this commitment to being excellent, loving people with one another, brotherhood, fraternity, all the, all the things that actually really matter that are American values. And they, we were a generation poised to make this country great again, really beautiful and connected. And then what has happened? Uh, and I, I'm still, I'm still left wondering. Uh, I, I still look and think, how can we have so much hate in this country? And there I am. That's where I'm at. I'm just, I'm just, I'm left with it. But I'm not going to contribute to it. I'm just going to actually keep fighting for the love. And um, you know, I mean, it, it's when you when you go walking around saying, uh, um, you know, if you got a sign at the front of your restaurant that says, "We don't believe in hate," I think, well, that's already a hateful sign, <laughs> right? It's like you're already yes. falling into the trap. You know, start talking about love. <laughs> no, that's okay. Come on in. We love everybody. Oh, oh, that's a good idea. This other stuff. Knock it off. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting that you're saying that, especially in the context of Jesus Revolution, this new movie, which, by the way, everybody listening, you need to go see this movie. It is in theaters right now. I always tell you guys about how, and I quote Andrew Breitbart, that politics is downstream from culture. So the only way we're going to change America is if we change the culture. This is not about particular elections, as important as they are, and we all need to work on those, but it's about changing the culture in this country. And the way we do that is by sending signals to the power brokers in Hollywood and New York and elsewhere that these are the kinds of projects that we will support with our feet by going 
in the theater with our wallets by actually buying tickets and supporting these projects with our eyeballs. Jesus Revolution, guys, you have to go see it. You will love it. It's such a fantastic film in so many ways. It's funny. It's it's gorgeously photographed. Kelsey, of course, is brilliant. Uh, Jonathan Rumi um, from the Chosen television series is in it as well. He is fantastic. It's just, it's a beautiful film and we've got to put our money where our mouths are. So please go see this movie. Um, But I loved what you just said, Kelsey, about, you know, that whole generation, I I don't know, baby boomers, I guess, but they were all anti-establishment, question authority, take on the man, beat the man. And now they are the man and they're all acting like petty little tyrants to fundamentally transform the country. I've never seen a complete 180 by an entire generation of people getting off on the power and the establishment control and everything else. It is astonishing to me and actually kind of frightening. I am, I'm with you on that. I, I, Oh God, I pray for them. I mean, I actually do pray for them in, in the deepest sense of the word that somehow the light of love will ignite their imagination again. And, and, and the, the language of politics is not something that they'll respond to. I mean, we've been, we've been taught to fear so much stuff, and, and, and it's, been, it's been reinforced in so many different ways that people aren't actually capable of seeing another human being that they might disagree with. And uh, this, is, this is staggering to me because, you know, Jesus said, love thy enemy as myself. Um. We're not hearing that anywhere but from him, and I've, I've mentioned that previously talking about this movie, but uh, the media doesn't talk about loving somebody else. The media doesn't talk about loving your people that disagree with you. Um, they talk about, like, let's, let's get this let's get this done. Those people are sick. This, but unfortunately, our leaders are saying the same stuff. And um, I'm a little fed up with it. Um, I don't really know where my America went, but I'd sure like to get it back. <laughs> yes, all of us would. I mean, really, it's it's stunning when we frame it this way, that that whole generation went from peace and love to power and control. And yeah, it, right, pa- power and control are very seductive. That's the enemy at work right there. Oh. Are you... Um, <sighs> The state of the country is in, we're in such dire straits. The world Mm is, the wheels are coming off because there's no steady hand on the tiller in America. And when there's no strong American leadership, the rest of the world just flies in every different direction and our enemies advance and our allies cower. And it's just a very dangerous moment. Um, What is the overall general sense in Hollywood about where the country is right now? We know they're pathological logically left wing. Um, but mm. what are they saying about Biden and even Gavin Newsom? Are, do you, are you hearing well, anything you know particular? I am not. I'm not really um, in touch with anybody on, on, the, on this stuff. I mean, I have a few friends that are, you know, that share. I mean, I've been a conservative for a long time. I'm, uh, a compassionate conservative. I guess that was what George Bush used to say. But uh, I've always, I always believed that that was a pretty good idea. I mean, I, I think that's the way people should always be. Um, but to my mind, the group of people I gravitate toward are the ones who say live and let live. And what I'm dealing with in, in a lot of Hollywood is um, live as you're told. And uh, 
to me, that kind of stuff should close out of town. Yes. But it's still getting the first run in a lot of theaters these days. And uh, I'm not happy about it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to bemoan it. But, and then this, this breaks my heart, but I, I'm looking in my, in, in the, in the depth of my being, I'm actually looking for another place to be than the United States. And that saddens me to the point that I can't even describe it because I love this country. I love it. At the same time, however, I believe that we can turn it around and that America is the only place that can turn it around and turn it around in a beautiful way. But I, we have to put down the hatchets. We have to put down the the weaponry of, of uh, you know, reviling the human beings for what they are, but because they might think a different way than we do. We're, this is a country that can embrace all kinds of ideas. At least the one that was set up was for that. And uh, it's just, there are so many inaccuracies, inaccuracies about our history being um, foisted upon us all the time by the media, outright lies. And you just think, well, wait a minute, who fact-checked that? Nobody did. People just say what they want to say. That's a, it's an extraordinary thing. And they don't, they don't back it up with truth. But they're not interested in truth. They're interested in impact, in, you know, sway, in, in making some people hide away or run away or making some people try to destroy another group of people. This is a, this is a sad, sad time, you know, and, and I hope and we've been, th- we've been in them before. I know we have, and I, and I hope that we climb out together on this one. And um, I've seen a lot of people turning to faith uh, around the country. There've been some demonstrations going on uh, that are pretty exciting where people are going like, whoa, 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 we want to just love each other again and get in, get in touch with things that are really important and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna point out one thing that i think is kind of ironic that i i noticed as we were promoting the movie the jesus revolution took place in the late 60s early 70s and right now in our lives on every desktop on on every um uh media like sort of array and homes and stuff there is a picture of an apple with a bite out of it. Mm. <laughs> and it seemed, it seemed to me that we really were close in the late 60s, the summer of love, to Eden, to our garden, to the garden that was meant for us. And we were, as a, as a society, as a community, as a country, we were, we were moving toward it. And then about four, five years later, on every desk and and every almost every school, certainly in almost every college, was that apple. And I thought, well, who got us to take a bite out of that in the first place? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, the the so, original master of disinformation. <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly. So listen, it wasn't it wasn't ill conceived or a bad idea. It was just we want to be as gods. We want to know things. We want to leave behind the things that we relied on, like God or whatever. Uh, just like Adam and Eve did, and uh, and go forge our new life. Well, we've made a, a right mess of it. And, you know, the, the people often say, you know, if God, blah, 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 how did the Nazis ever exist? Well, God had nothing to do with the Nazis. The Nazis had anything to do with them. The, the people did that. God didn't do that. You know, so I say, there's no reason to start believing in people. 
No, no. <laughs> Keep your eyes squarely above you. Yeah. Um, and we're well, let's not leave our devices either, or you know, the, I mean, look, look, we've got this thing called Wikipedia. I mean, everybody knows that Wikipedia is not accurate or true, right? right. Because it could be editorialized by somebody who doesn't like the person. You know, it's just it's ridiculous. Um, but here we are. I'm, I'm, give me my Funk and Wagnalls. Give me my, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica. Give me something that was a, a, an assembled reference book for fact. And I'll, I'll rely on that a lot sooner than I would Wikipedia. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, look, yeah. the, tr- the truth is that all of this is Marxism. This is a Marxist revolution. Um, it never really ended. It began in the 1930s to try to take down mm-hmm. the United States of America. And you're seeing it expressed in all kinds of ways, economic Marxism, cultural Marxism with critical race yeah. theory and the trans agenda and everything else. And at root, it's evil. So we're talking about, you know, this is a big spiritual battle that's happening far beyond Trump versus Biden or whatever it might be. This is happening on the next plane. And when, oh, you, Lord, when yeah. you see it, you can't unsee it, right? Yeah, I, I believe that's true. I think what's interesting is my heart goes out to anybody's confused about who they are. But why are there so many people confused about who they are? Because somebody wants us to be confused. The traditional values of like, oh, I'm this or I'm that, the simple factual evidence of like i'm born this i'm born that i embrace the idea that you might have some questions but to be convinced at a, at a very young age that you aren't what you were born is kind of criminal and i don't think children are doing that to themselves i think their parents are doing it or society's doing it and uh, i look at my boys my, my two boys and i have a, a daughter dad eight and six they look at me like who are these people talking about you know, I'm not this or I'm not that. And he said, well, but if you convince people they don't know who they are, you can control them. Yes. Yep. And right, there's a lot of people out there going like, let's control everything. Let's get everything. And who cares who gets lost in it? Who cares who gets torn up in it? Who cares who gets mutilated, mutilated by this? We're just going to control it. So we get to stay in power. And I'll say one, one other thing about Washington, D.C. that I, I, I think is kind of interesting. Washington, D.C. is so full of, and you, you know, you're the denizen of D.C., so, and I admire you for it, but there are so many people working there that weren't elected, but what do you do in Washington, D.C.? Well, you make up rules, don't you? So, so what if they weren't elected, but their job is to make up stuff that controls other people, isn't it? So everybody's on the bandwagon going like, oh, yeah, oh, here's another thing where there's a big problem. Here's another big problem over here. Let's, let's, let's carry ourselves into the minutiae of um, home heating products, or or fuel consumption of this, or or kerosene, or you know, yeah, well that's that's an outrage. We got to get rid of it. But no, nobody voted for that. That's right. So there we are. That that's you right. Know. That is the administrative state, which my friend Steve Bannon is always talking about smashing. We've got to hit this quick break, but we will be back with much more of this incredible conversation. But first, guys. What's the secret to great skincare? It's GenuCell. GenuCell's most popular package has everything for all of your skincare needs. Wrinkles, dark spots, skin redness, sagging jawline, dark circles, and even annoying bags and puffiness under your eyes. And with its immediate effects, see results in 12 hours or less guaranteed 
or your money back. So stop waiting. Try GenuCell's most popular package for 70% off at GenuCell.com. And for a limited time, their new probiotic extract moisturizer is included for visibly clear and younger looking skin free. Go to GenuCell.com slash Monica. That's GenuCell.com slash Monica. And for a limited time, any subscription order includes a free beauty box and free concierge shipping. GenuCell.com slash Monica. That's G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Monica. GenuCell.com slash Monica. We'll be right back. We're back now with our final minutes with Kelsey Grammer. The permanent bureaucracy in Washington, but also state governments too, um, they've, yeah. they've got to do two things. One, they have to justify their own reason for being in their job. So they're constantly looking for things to, to manipulate and control, but they're also seduced by power and control and growing government. And every time government grows, a little bit more of your freedom goes away. And that is the point, right? right? That's the point. That's where I live. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I've been afraid of. Yeah, I know. I, I, I do think we can turn it around. So I do share your sense of optimism, but it is going to take quite the effort because the left has been at this for decades. So we need to understand this is not just about the 2024 election cycle. This is going to be a long-term project. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the left is really smart. You know, they're, they're good at what they do. Um, and then, then they convince you that somehow... You want to just hang out in your house and not pay more than half your money in taxes and, you know, hang on to your piece of, of your future that you, you worked really hard for, that somehow that's an evil desire. Uh, they're really good at that. And then the, if, if that doesn't work, then they'll tell you that you're um, a racist person who is not with the times, who wants to stop anybody from being truly expressing themselves. But then at the same time, tell everybody else, who the hell are you? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to get too crazy about all this stuff. I just, I am, I am living in a state of um, longing for simple truths again, knowing that those are the ones that will last. And those are the ones I wish to impart to my children. Love people, love thy neighbor as thyself. This is pretty simple stuff, you know, and keep, keep fighting away at what you're, what your best destiny is, your first best destiny. You and God and everybody else knows exactly what it is, and you will forge your way as long as there aren't too many people standing between you and your story. And if your story is to go be this or that or whatever, you get to tell that story. They can't tell you to stop it, but uh, they're going to try. Well, I've met a few of your children and they are lovely and beautiful and and good kids, you know, who are growing into good adults and good people. And that mm-hmm. is a testament to your parenting and, you know, Kate's parenting. I mean, your kids are just wonderful. And it is the role of the parent to stay on top of your kids to make sure that you're countering all of this external nonsense that they're getting every day from the culture and politics and, and the spiritual plane and everything else. So you and Kate are doing an amazing job. Um, uh, in our final 
couple of minutes here, Kelsey. I need to lighten it up a little bit, get away from all this okay, theology. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about Frasier, because I have oh, uh, I, I, literally my favorite television comedy ever. And I got to tell everybody, when I first met you, I almost passed out. I completely fangirled on you because I am no, I, so <laughs> obsessed with Frasier my whole life and the iconic Dr. Frasier Crane. So what? first of all, there is a rumor that there will be a Frasier reboot. What can you tell us about that? It is, it is more than a rumor. We have shot four of them now. We're actually in rehearsal on the fifth one, which is actually pretty funny. We're, you know, uh, it's almost as if we didn't stop shooting the show. I mean, it, it's, it is peopled with different characters. We have different cast members. Um, Frasier is the still, still sort of the linchpin, and there's a whole new series of people who spin off satellites who spin off into, you know, insanity and then come back. Um, but they're really funny. And, uh, Fraser and his son are in this mostly. That's sort of the, the sort of the the centerpiece connection or relationship. But uh, there's there's some really wonderful new people that have never been seen in America, or at least have been seen peripherally, and uh, who I think will win over the hearts and minds of the people of the this country and and of the world. Even I mean, it's such a, it's such a lovely piece. I think you know we have a big following in in the UK and stuff. It's on all the time on Channel Four in London. Um, I think people are going to fall in love with this this family all over again. This this group of people, and and I think they and, I, and arguably I think they may actually fall in love with Fraser again. But he's a he's a wonderful character, and you know what the trick is? He's he's about love too. You know, he's loved deeply and with his whole heart, and he's flawed and he always makes mistakes and he always he's always. <laughs> He's getting in over his head and and making you know presumptions and all sorts of stuff that make him fun to watch and, and he, he you know harpoons himself all the time but um, he's a he's a great character and uh, and it's and, and it's and it's once once again it's just about love it was always about love and uh, there we are and I hope that I hope the public is ready for it and, and ready to let you know us all have a good laugh together because I think there's there's a time for that now. We're ready. We're ready to good love. You know, yes. to enjoy a good life. And, and some nostalgia. I really want this country. Yeah, I really want this country to get up, get up, and get on track again, and love each other, and and drop the nonsense. But you know, we'll see how it goes. You know what? A, a series like Frasier, um, which is going to invoke all of this incredible nostalgia. It may be Dr. Fraser Crane is the character we need to help bring the country together. I'm not overstating it. I mean, I really think, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would be amazing if everybody got on the same page about Dr. Yeah. Fraser Crane mm-hmm. and the reboot. Certainly some things we should, you know, I mean, there's some things we should. Yeah, we should be on the same page about a lot of this thing. Absolutely. And you know what's so beautiful about this character? From the second Dr. Frazier Crane walked into that Boston bar on Cheers, the foil of this um, intellectual snob with a heart of gold, let's put it that Mm -hmm. way, who walks into a bar full of blue-collar guys and gals and makes a connection 
Okay. Yep. And uh, like you say, all about love. You know, Frazier has this big pompous exterior, but inside he's as soft as a marshmallow. And you have executed yep. this character so brilliantly over so many years that I, I'm not kidding. I think this kind of show could actually bring help bring the country together, not solely, but I do think it play, th- this kind of thing plays a very important role. Yeah. Well, it's weird. We share so much more than we don't, honestly. Yes. It's just, you know, it's just it's just too much fun for the people to you know people in power or whatever to keep trying to tear us apart, and we we have the right to say no. We're not going to let you. <laughs> it's just it's so fantastic. I'm so excited. I'm jumping out of my skin. When can we expect the Fraser reboot, and where? I think it's going to air October first on Paramount Plus. Oh, great! Paramount Plus. October. That's what they're sort of talking about. Okay. Because they've we've actually been sort of. We've been charged to come up with a Christmas episode, which would be the last episode of our first season back. Oh, fantastic. So, fantastic. Paramount Plus well. in the fall. Yep. Oh, I, it's so yep. thrilling. I can't wait. Um, before we let you go, Kelsey, any other projects that you have coming up that you want to tell us about? Oh, gosh. Well, I, I shot a really wild movie out in the desert a while ago. Um, it's called uh, Lars Shrike Walks the Night. It's a, It's a... It is as independent an independent movie could ever be. Um, we did it on a shoestring budget. I froze my ass off in the desert, <laughs> shooting night shots in shackles and crawling through uh, caverns and canyons and over sand dunes. Um, but there's something wonderful in this movie, and I uh, we'll see what happens. I don't know, you know, what the release is planned and stuff, but I've got a couple of other. Movies coming up, but Lars Strike Walks the Night, I think, has has some ability to really kind of be a window into why we keep trying to survive. <laughs> well, we're all trying to answer that question, right, Kels? Yeah. yeah. We're going to fight away. We're going to slug away at it. But you know, honestly, we'd, we'd be better served to do it with our friends, do it with pals. And uh, I always thought of you as a friend, Monica, from the time we met. You're a terrific gal. Thank you. Oh, oh, thank you so much, Kelsey. And the blessing goes both ways. Guys, if we want to fight the culture wars, these are the projects, Kelsey Grammer's projects, we all need to be supporting. So please seek them out and support them. When Frazier comes back in the fall, Kelsey will join us once again. But go support Jesus Revolution. It is a magnificent new film. It's in the theaters. Please go see it. Support this work. It's really important. Kelsey, I can't thank you enough for being here, my dear friend. You are just just the best. Thanks, Monica. The feeling is mutual. <laughs> it's just an absolute pleasure. The legendary Kelsey Grammer. The movie is called Jesus Revolution. Well, that was just an absolutely fascinating conversation. And I hope you guys found it as interesting and as important as I did. And I think Kelsey did as well. Um, he's obviously a megastar. But he's also a brilliant, thoughtful man who is just an incredible person and doing very good things in the world. I am blessed to know him and call him a friend, and I'm just so honored to be able to bring him to you. So I hope that you guys enjoyed that, and I hope you'll tell everybody you know, friends, family, colleagues, about today's show and also the Monica Crowley podcast, because nobody you know wants FOMO, right? Fear of missing out? 
No way. And you will have that if you're not listening to this show. We bring you all the important things that matter and some really fascinating conversations like today's. So thank you so much for being here. Have a fantastic weekend. And I will see you right back here on Monday with another Blockbuster show. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.